Welcome to episode 143 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time, and I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like 100 brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous and they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. 
I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalonsCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalonsCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalonsCloset.com. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 143 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. And how was your Christmas, Jen? It was fabulous. How was yours? It was fabulous as well. (laughs) What did you guys do? Well, we did the same thing we normally do. We have 
you know, just different traditions of like what family goes where on what day. And we just did those things. The only sad thing is that Cal was not here. It was the first Christmas ever that I didn't see him because he's out in San Francisco with his new wife and they were not able to travel because of her job. So. Yeah. I was actually talking to him on Christmas. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, we were. Y'all were working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's great. Cause he was saying that, um, he had like some time off, but I don't think she did. She didn't have time to travel because, you know, it takes a lot to go all the way across from coast to coast. So, yeah, crazy, crazy. And I actually, I have an empty nest now. I have a totally empty nest. Younger son, Will, has moved out. It was his idea. He got an apartment, moved out on his own. So, fingers crossed, no more yo-yoing back home. <laughs> actually, you know what? This was a very, what's the word? Like when it's a new, something, a new moment happens. I don't know. What's the word for it? A milestone? Sort of, but like not a milestone because it it doesn't have to be celebrated. There's got to be a word for it. Well, it was a new experience. This was the first Christmas where there were significant others with the children. Ooh. Both my brother and sister had significant others with them. Well, that's fun. I remember one, there was one um, Thanksgiving that both of my boys had a significant other at the Thanksgiving table. And one is Kate, who Cal married, and the other was also named Kate. She was Hannah Kate, but that was Will's girlfriend. So we had a Kate and a Hannah Kate at the table. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's pretty funny. They are no longer together, Will and Hannah Kate, but Cal and Kate are together forever. So one of the Kates. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. That's funny. Well, that's fun. It is fun to have new people joining the family, right? Yeah. Yep. It's so funny. My dad (sighs) came up with this idea and it was really funny because he thought it was a great idea for presents and my brother and the family was like, this is just not going to go well. He basically, so he got like themed presents that went together, but there was like three of each and there's three girls, me, my mom, and my sister. So he would put three presents down and then he would have us draw straws and we could open all of them. And then we got to go in order and pick the one we wanted. (laughs) Before we started, my brother was just like, this is just not going to go well. This is not going to go well. (laughs) Cause it was things like makeup and like three purses. And (laughs) so, and then we kept getting into, um, because then it's the whole thing, like, the person would get, you know, the short stick and they would go first or the whatever, whatever it is. And then the person would be like, you know, which one do you want? Oh, I don't want to pick, you know, it was just like, it just was not a good idea. Not a good idea. (laughs) But, um, it all went well. Very cool. I'm sure you've been following the news and you saw the latest journal article out of the New England Journal of Medicine. Have you seen that? Oh, at first I thought you meant politics. I was oh, like, no, nope. no, we're not talking um, about no politics. <laughs> I was like, oh, do we not have a president anymore? <laughs> no politics. This is a politics-free zone. But no, the the New England Journal of Medicine article. Have you seen that? No. Which which one? It is everywhere. It is everywhere. It has been on all the news channels. It came out. It was in the December twenty sixth edition of the New England Journal of Medicine. And Mark Matson, you know, I've talked about him before. He's one of my very favorite researchers. 
that writes about intermittent fasting. He's from Johns Hopkins. And so the article is called Effects of Intermittent Fasting on Health, Aging, and Disease. And it is just fabulous. And it's, I mean, it's really, it's been everywhere. It's been on CNN. It's been on, I mean, all the news channels. It's been on the morning shows. I mean, everyone is excited about intermittent fasting right now. So just in time for the new year, which is thrilling because, you know, we want to save everybody from having to do a a diet. We want people to find intermittent fasting because it's the last thing you'll have to do. It's awesome. We'll have to put links to that in the show notes. But it's really, it's just the right time for this to come out. So it's exciting that the New England Journal of Medicine released it because this is mainstream. This is like, you don't get any better than the New England Journal of Medicine. Well, I will definitely put a link to that in the show notes and the show notes for listeners will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 143. Something else really interesting. I was just listening right before we started to one of the latest episodes on Peter Atia's podcast and it's all about mitochondrial function and different energy substrates and such. Um, oh, <laughs> I just laugh thinking about what you sent me on Christmas. Yeah, I, I sent Melanie a Christmas present, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a photo <laughs> out of a journal article. It was like a study about glycogen storage and like when you're using different amounts of glycogen at what hour. She's like, Merry Christmas. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> But it's everything I always say about when your glycogen stores get low enough, then your body switches fuel sources and that, you know, you're trying to deplete your glycogen first and then you start to make ketones and you start to burn fat. And so it showed how the free fatty acids went up in your blood at the same time as the glycogen was at the bottom. It was just, I was like, woo, I love this diagram. (laughs) This episode I've been listening to, it's painting such a nuanced picture of all of that. I'm just like, my mind is being blown because they're talking about things like like free fatty acids. Like free fatty acids are typically high on both sides of the health spectrum. So people who are like severely insulin resistant and not in a, not in a good shape metabolically will have high free fatty acids because they're not using them. But then people who are very metabolically efficient and like well-trained athletes might have high free fatty acids, but it's because they're using them and it's a high turnover rate. So they were talking about how it can be misleading doing, you know, measuring these things because you don't know if it's a buildup not being used or if it's a high turnover rate being used. And then it was the same thing with glycogen stores. Like, so well-trained athletes will have actually higher, likely higher glycogen storage potential, but they'll actually use less glycogen because they're more efficient. I walked away from it being like, I really need to get my glycogen stores up, but still be like a fat burner basically. But that wasn't even what I was going to say. Oh, what I was going to say was um, something Peter Tia just said right before I, right before we started talking. He said when he went on like a ketogenic diet, like a long-term ketogenic diet, it took him, he said like the first three months were miserable, three months, which is like a long time. And then he said it took him 18 months for him to get to the point of the aerobic capacity that he had prior to the ketogenic diet, but then it was actually even better than, I guess, what it was before. That really made me think because 18 months, it it took him a year and a half because we get so many questions about, I mean, that's the keto diet, but we get so many questions about, you know, athletes and training and things like that. That really made me consider that for some people, you know, it might take a while for the metabolic changes in the mitochondria to adjust to different dietary changes. 
Yeah, it's it's not quick. So, you know, like I was watching the news this morning because someone said, oh, it's going to be on the Today Show. So I was like, okay. So I turned on the Today Show and they were talking. They, they had like the, the medical correspondent, the doctor. I don't know what her name is, but she's like their, you know, doctor they have on to talk about health things. And then the host, I don't know his name either because I don't ever watch the morning shows. Sorry, today's show. But anyway, so she was talking about it and he said, yeah, I tried it for five days. It wasn't for me. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, that's the saddest of all. (laughs) You know, you can't make a decision. And then he said something that was also sad. He said, it doesn't work for me because my schedule is crazy. And I'm like, oh, friend, that's the reason it would work for you. (laughs) Whenever people say that, I'm like, no, no, no. Complete opposite. Yeah. But the two things he said. It didn't work for me. I tried it for five days and my schedule's too crazy to do it. So <sighs> I was actually on the Today Show once. Really? What was it about? They they were showing clips from Millionaire Matchmaker and I was on Millionaire Matchmaker. So they were showing it on the Today Show. And my, one of my friends texted me was like, I think I just saw you on the Today Show. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Good times. Good times. All right. Yeah. So although just um, for some more context, so when he said it took him 18 months, that was not not for him to be like fat adapted or, you know, functional. That was for him to reach high performing athletic performance. They also go way into detail about like the different muscle fibers and fast twitch and aerobic versus anaerobic training. I learned a lot. It's I thought about putting it in the intermittent fasting podcast stuff we like playlist, but it's like very technical. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if Go ahead and put it in there now that we've talked about it. Yeah. I will put a link to it. So if we are a Himalaya-partnered show, you can follow us in the Himalaya app and you'll get early access to our podcast 24 hours in advance. We have a playlist in that app called the Intermittent Fasting Podcast Stuff We Like. It's all of the random episodes that we talk about from other podcasts. So I'll put that one in that playlist. I'll do that right now. So shall we jump into everything for today? Yes, let's get started. All right. So the first question comes from Celeste and the subject is self-sabotage. And Celeste says, hi ladies. I notice when I'm fasting and start to think about food, my mouth will start to salivate. It's not even an I'm so hungry thought, just the awareness of food. I've read that even the thought of food can initiate an insulin response. So I'm worried that I'm inadvertently dirty fasting. It seems partially psychological at this point and mainly happens when I think about not wanting to secrete insulin. Wondering if one theoretically salivated at the thought of food all day, would their clean fasting be voided out? Thanks and love the show. All right. So what are your thoughts, Jen? Well, you know, it's kind of like the the saying, don't think about an elephant. And now everybody's thinking about an elephant. <laughs> You know, don't think about this, Celeste. Don't worry about, am I secreting insulin now? Am I thinking about food? And am I salivating? You know, I make a rule to not ever worry about things I can't control. You know, is it possible that if you visualize and imagine eating, you could cause your body to release insulin? Yeah. So just, you know, don't stress about that. Don't worry about that. No, you're not going to be dirty fasting all day long with your brain. But I would move on and not even think about it. Just say, oop, that's something I'm releasing. I don't have to think about that. I don't have to worry about that. I'm going on with my life. You know, the same thing with ambient smells. 
you know, if I walk past Cinnabon in the mall and I'm like, ooh, that Cinnabon smells good. By the way, it doesn't taste good to me anymore, which is sad because it smells so good. <laughs> I tried one at an airport last year and it wasn't like I remembered, but I'm still smelling it and I'm still thinking it smells good, but I'm not going to worry about, hey, did my body just release a lot of insulin? Am I dirty fasting because of the smells? I just, you know, I don't want to worry about that. Yeah. I think we should talk about the idea of dirty fasting because I don't think dirty fasting is necessarily applying to insulin as much as it's applying to taking in things that like actually taking in things that we think aren't affecting insulin. Well, it would like, for example, chewing gum. Chewing gum is an example of what we call dirty fasting, which isn't really fasting. We don't call it fasting. I mean, we, we think we don't. I actually reject the idea that there's something called dirty fasting because I think you're either fasting or you're not. Yeah. So there's clean fasting and then there's not fasting. Those are the two things. Yeah, I agree with what you said. I think that's definitely, I think going down that that rabbit hole will just make things increasingly more difficult and unnecessary. Yeah. Cause then you'll worry and you'll be like, and I really think that your mindset, we've talked about this before, your mindset is so important. So if you're always worried about it, that isn't a good, healthy mindset to be in. I can control what I put into my mouth. I can control whether stevia falls into my coffee cup or not, right? And whether I drink it. I can control whether I chew gum. I can control whether I eat. But I can't control sometimes what I think about or what what I smell when I'm walking around. So I'm not going to worry about those things. And I have cooked for my family in the fasted state many a time. Yesterday, I sat with my husband while he ate lunch. And I didn't eat lunch and I could smell his food. I actually had prepared the plate for him. And maybe my stomach will growl a little bit, but then I, I move on and it's okay. Yeah, I actually, I didn't eat. I went to the Christmas, like to Christmas with the family, but I didn't eat lunch when they were eating lunch. And I could have, but they like they had prepared all the food and none of that food would have done well with my digestion at all. So, um, but it was fine. I sat there have my water. Yeah. That, you know, that's the thing we're in, we're in charge of what, when we, when we eat and when we don't, and we don't have to, if we know the food isn't going to work well for us. Yep. 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 But everybody else was, was celebrating and you were celebrating with them. I actually had an 11 hour window on Christmas day. Oh, nice. Yeah. It was fabulous. I wasn't even sorry. <laughs> like if they had had, originally my mom was going to make like one of the butcher box roasts. And if she had done that, I think I would have partaken, partaken. <laughs> I think I would have had some, but it was a lot of things. It was some, it was stuff you love, Jen, but stuff that would just not do so well with me. Like a lot of um, beans and <laughs> chili and soup and stuff. <laughs> so we had brunch. It was just, you know, I make cheese and sausage balls, which are, you know, I make them every year. And then, you know, we have just the traditional breakfasty brunchy kind of things. Yeah. I was actually, I was supposed to they were just running late. Like I was supposed to come after lunch. Like that was the plan, but then everybody was running late. So they're like, Oh, we're having lunch now. It's like, okay. And even so, even though I ate for, had an 11 hour window, I still only had two meals. I had the brunch in the morning and then I did have a little champagne in the middle of the afternoon at another family member's house (laughs) and then dinner. So it was two meals, but they were, it was a very wide window. Yeah, everybody, there was a lot of wine, a lot of wine to go around. Okay, this is so funny, Jen. So you know how most people's goal for New Year's is to like drink less wine. 
<laughs> is yours to drink more wine? Yes. I'm not even kidding. Yes. Because I actually haven't been drinking wine at all. <laughs> I really miss it in my life. And I want to like bring it back, but I, I think I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know if I'm like nervous. I don't know. I'm so like crazy about my diet and everything I'm experimenting with. So it's like one of my goals to like bring it back and be back to my my wine drinking, fruit eating. <laughs> so what what inspired you to cut it out? Like what was the reason? I think just with like the craziness of move. I think it mostly when I was like moving and the craziness of everything, I was like, I'm just going to cut out anything that could potentially like, I don't know. I think it was just like an experiment, but honestly, I was much happier when I was like drinking all the wine and eating all the fruit. So <laughs> we're going to, we're going to go back that way. So yeah, it's, I was just laughing though. Cause me, me and my mom were talking and I was like, my goal for next Christmas is to be like drinking tons of wine. <laughs> so yep. Good times. Last night I was actually reading a, a 2019 massively long study all about the benefits of blueberries <laughs> to, to try to convince myself to eat more blueberries. I love blueberries. Yeah, I do love berries. I like blackberries the best. Oh, of course you do. That's my least favorite. No, actually, no. My least favorite is <laughs> is raspberry. I like raspberries too, but blackberries are my favorite. I, I like actually I like blackberries, but raspberries give me headaches. Were raspberry really? raspberries were not on our Everly Well, were they? I'm not sure. I really want to take the longer one now. The 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 bigger Every, Everly Well test that had more foods. So, all right. Shall we move on to the next question? Yes. This is from Lisa, and the question is about salt in my coffee. She says, hello, my name is Lisa, and I'm loving listening to your podcast. I'm on episode 25 and have not yet heard anyone address whether you can put a pinch of Himalayan sea salt into your coffee to get rid of the bitter aftertaste. I do enjoy my coffee that I make at home because I make it weak. Anytime I buy coffee out, it's usually so gross, I can't stand it. And I heard that you can add just a small pinch of sea salt without spiking your insulin, true or false. That's another thing I haven't been having, coffee. Coffee? Yeah. Oh, now I just want coffee, fruit, and wine. Anyways, Lisa, yes, you can have salt in your coffee. Do you ever do that? Have you ever tried that? No. Have you? I tried it because everybody was talking about it. And then I apologized to my coffee because... <laughs> It ruined the coffee, but I guess maybe I put too much. I don't know. And what I hear is you sprinkle it on the grounds. What you're really supposed to do is sprinkle it on the grounds before you brew it, just a tiny bit. And I think I sprinkled a little bit into my coffee cup. It was really gross, but I actually like black coffee. So maybe if I didn't, it would have made a difference anyway. And it does not have to be pink Himalayan salt, y'all. That's like the biggest craziness out there. Everybody thinks it has to be pink salt. No. For the coffee specifically? Yes. There's nothing magical about pink salt. <laughs> you know, I do use sea salt. Right now I'm using the Redmond's sea salt. I think that's, the, is that the name of it? Yeah. I love Redmond's. That's the one I'm using right now with my cooking. I think Redmond, I did a lot of research on salt <laughs> ever since I read The Salt Fix, that book by, what's his name? He has a long last name. Nika Joe, Nika or Nika something. It starts with a D I and then there's an N and a C. Yeah. Um, the salt fix. Yeah. That'll get you there. Yeah. He has a new book that's related to the ketogenic diet that's in my audible list that I haven't listened to yet. I also haven't listened to Dave Astry's new book. I'm so behind. There's too much to listen to. <sighs> Can't keep up. But yeah, the thing about the salt is 
you know, his book is really great. And it, it tells us that, you know, we shouldn't be afraid of salt. Like we've been, you know, trained to be afraid of salt, just like we've been trained to be afraid of everything. But our bodies have a natural amount of salt we, that we need to take in. And, you know, animals in nature will look for salt. You know, they have salt licks, for example, you know, but animals know how much their bodies need intuitively. And I've actually heard we are the same way. We know how much we need and we will keep adding salt to our food, for example, until we get just the right amount. So I don't add salt during the fast. I just salt my food well, and that's enough for me. You know, there's a whole train of thought that we have to worry about depleting our electrolytes. And we're all so fragile that if we're not drinking, you know, salty water, we're going to, I don't know what's going to happen. But that all came out of the, the keto community because I think that keto actually does tend to lead to electrolyte imbalances more so than maybe intermittent fasting. Or perhaps if you're doing extended fasting, you might have to worry. But I've never once been, you know, having my daily you know, daily fast, my daily time restricted, whatever, and felt like, oh gosh, my electrolytes are low. So. Yeah. I will say ever since I've been experimenting with more low carb, I'm I'm still thinking about how I want to get back to fruit. It's like my sugar. I never, I didn't have sugar cravings, but I would eat, you know, lots of fruit and carb, like fruit carbs in my window. Now it's like I crave salt instead. And I don't know if that's because it could be a lot of things. It could be, you know, like you just said with the the ketogenic diet's effect on electrolytes, or it could be both salt and like sugar sweetness. Both of those tend to reduce stress hormones. So I think at night, maybe if you're not getting one, you crave the other. Rob Wolf now is a huge proponent of, especially for ketogenic diets, addressing electrolytes. But speaking of the salt, do you know why the Himalayan salt is pink? I'm sure it's one of the minerals that's in there. Yeah, it's the iron. Oh, really? Oh, really? It has iron in it? Yeah that pinkish reddish color that, and once you realize this, you'll realize this in like meats and things like iron content. For example, like I'm just thinking of like veal compared to beef, like the the color, the pinkness, like, you know, it gets much more redder. It's a higher iron content. And when you've had anemia problems, you start to <laughs> know the, the signs of iron in things. So yeah, little fun fact there. Yeah, I just looked it up. And How Stuff Works says that it gets its color from calcium, magnesium, potassium, copper, and iron. Yep. And then I think I think as far as like impurities and stuff goes with salts that uh, I, I do like the Redmond. I, that was the takeaway that I took away from that book was Redmond seems to be the way to go as far as like getting the widest range of minerals with the least amount of potential toxins. Because like there can be slightly a problem with like heavy metals and such with like Celtic sea salts. Well, the thing that kind of steered me away from the pink was the fact that it started being like literally everywhere. Like you could find it at TJ Maxx and you could find it, you know, and then I'm like, how do I know all this is really that, you know, how when olive oil started to become like it was fake and you could buy it everywhere, but it was fake diluted olive oil. And apparently like most of the olive oil is like fake. I mean, that's what they say. And, you know, like supplements, you know, when you, when they actually look at a lot of supplements and see what's in there. It's not really what it says is on the bottle. Like so many of the supplements. So then I was like, well, how do I know this pink salt really is that? So I'm like, never mind. I'm just going to stick with Redmond's because that is a brand. And I know that they're not. <laughs> yeah, I love Redmond's. That was really what did it for me was the fact that, because I used to use pink salt, but then it was everywhere. And I was like, I don't even know if this is legit. We should see if Redmond's would like to sponsor the podcast since we both love them. <laughs> that would be awesome. I wouldn't mind at all. 
I feel like such a pro because now I have it like in a little dish by my stove and I sprinkle it out of the little dish. Oh, nice. I know. I'm like, I feel like a professional. (laughs) The sprinkling with my little, you know, instead of the shaking or grinding. But yeah. Speaking of Marshall's, TJ Maxx, I never buy, I would never buy any of the food stuff there. Like, because I feel like it had to have been made a while ago to get to that point. Same with like the cosmetics. Cause you know how it's like stuff like filters down into those stores. Right. It might be old. Yeah. Like when I go by the cosmetics section, I'm just like, Ugh. expired or like about to be, or I don't know. I do. I do worry about some of the food. You're right. One more quick random side note. Did you know, cause I'm about to post a whole blog post about what might be hiding in cosmetics and, and skincare. Because it's regulated by the FDA, but it's not regulated. <laughs> like like the FDA is the company in charge of regulating it, but they literally don't regulate it. Like that's what they say on their website. There's no testing. It's crazy. I could go on a huge, huge tangent. It's basically like if you had speed limits, but no police. Wow. And then the speed limits would be even like kind of ridiculous. Like they've, they've only banned like eight chemicals compared to Europe that has banned like 1,500. <laughs> So anyways, did you know when it says fragrance on like a cosmetic thing? Because, you know, they'll often say fragrance on the back. Yeah. Did you know that means it can contain anything and the government can't question them? No. It's the fragrance loophole from the 1960s. So like if a cosmetic company is – it just like blew my mind. If they're making makeup – so – Listeners, pull out some of your makeup and flip it over and see if it says fragrance on the back. It probably does. That means they can it can contain anything that they want. And the, nobody can question them because it's trade secret. See, that's yeah, that's a little scary. Hi, friends. Now, if you're anything like me, you love biohacking, intermittent fasting, and getting feedback and data on what our bodies are doing. Now, when we do intermittent fasting or extended or prolonged fasting, it's hard to get feedback sometimes on how our bodies are doing in terms of fat burning and ketosis. This is one of the reasons that I created the Tone Device, which is a breath ketone analyzer. It can tell you the rate of fat burning your body is in by detecting the ketones on your breath. If you practice intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating, do an occasional 24-hour fast like once a week, or prolonged or extended fasting, it's likely your body is getting into light ketosis. If you are doing keto or low-carb, even sometimes paleo, you may be getting into a deeper state of fat burning and ketosis. If you do a high-carb diet, then you probably get into a light state of ketosis after some fasting. What I love about the tone is that you can simply breathe into it for about four to five seconds, and it will give you instant feedback on the rate of fat burning that your body is at. Now, when we are in ketosis, our bodies are at their highest rate of fat burning, which is what is so neat. We actually breathe out our fat. So the carbons that we are measuring with the tone device are actually coming from our fat. When we practice different approaches like intermittent fasting or doing time-restricted eating, lower-carb diets or keto approaches, our bodies actually make a metabolic switch where fat becomes our primary fuel. And the body takes fat and converts it into ketones in the liver. About 15 to 20% of those circulating ketones are then diffused 
through our lungs out in our breath. And it is so amazing. I absolutely love using the tone every single day. I love the biofeedback, especially when I am doing any kind of fasting. And I can see my body gradually get into a deeper and deeper state of fat burning through those ketone levels going higher and higher. Now, one of the reasons I created the tone is because testing blood ketones is cost prohibitive. The test strips are extremely expensive. They are wasteful. You no longer have to buy test strips anymore. You can just breathe into the tone device for four to five seconds and get that instant feedback. It's a one-time investment and you'll be able to test an unlimited amount of times. Now, I always recommend testing with the tone device fasted first thing in the morning and testing up until you have your first meal of the day and you will be able to see differences there, especially if you do a longer fast, you'll see the ketones go higher and higher and it really is so great to get that biofeedback. Now, for the past year and a half, I've been working on a brand new version of the tone, the second generation tone device, and I am so excited for it to soon be available to you all. I wanted to create a special launch discount for the tone device so that any of you who are interested can take advantage of that discount. I've never discounted the tone device before, but if you are signed up to the exclusive VIP list, you will receive that launch discount. To sign up for the list, you can go to tonedevice.com and enter Enter your name and email address and you will receive an email which you can confirm to double opt-in and you'll be the first to know when the new second generation tone device is available to order and you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. I am so excited for you all to try it so be sure to go and sign up at tonedevice.com. All right now back to our show. All right so the next question comes from Karen. The subject is weight loss surgery and IF, and Karen says, Hi, Jen and Melanie. Can't tell you how much I love your show. It guides my one-hour commute to and from work every day, and I just love it. I may have missed it, but I haven't heard you talk too much about IF and weight loss surgery. I had gastric sleeve surgery six years ago and lost 150 pounds. Through menopause, some life changes, and loosening up my rigor, I gained back 40 pounds. I've been doing IF for the past three months, slowly working my way up to one meal a day on most days. I fast at least 18 to 24 hours a day, depending on my body. I have also added serapeptase based on your suggestions. Great stuff. I am down 12 pounds, which is really exciting. I do have some gastro distress sometimes when I open my window. I think this is mainly because I open with vegetables and it might be too much for my stomach. My question for you, is it safe to do IF after weight loss surgery? I researched online and I've read a bunch of things that says that it is not safe. Of course, much of that comes from bariatric centers. Is there any research that talks about IF and weight loss surgery? Thanks a lot. Jen, have you seen anything about this in the groups? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, like, please let Jen have an answer to this one. (laughs) Yeah. Well, do I know of any research? No. I haven't seen any research about intermittent fasting and weight loss surgery. I'm not certain that research has been conducted. So, you know, for the people who say whether it's safe or not safe, I mean, it's we have anecdotes. We have anecdotal type things as, as far as I know, you know. Anyway, I actually have a friend who I actually interviewed her on um, intermittent fasting stories or I can't remember which episode number. Sue is her name. She lives in Chicago. If anybody remembers the episode Sue from Chicago, she had weight loss surgery years ago. 
And so she does intermittent fasting now. And she and I actually have been on some trips together and she came to my house for the moderator retreat. You know, you just have to, you're always aware, I think. I mean, I have not had weight loss surgery, but, you know, listening to Sue and talking to her and the other members of the group that have been through it that talk about it from time to time, you can't eat a large amount of food at one time. So you may need to do more of a grazing approach throughout your window and you may need a longer window. Perhaps one meal a day may not be the right approach for you thinking about, you know, trying to have one plate of food or in a short amount of time. Instead, I mean, you could think about it's still going to be one meal's worth of food, but you need to spread it out a little bit. And you need to, you know, find the window that works well for you because you want to make sure you get insufficient nutrients. And it's true, you can't eat too much at once. And you have to be careful with what you open with and and that sort of thing. I know Sue has to be careful with, with that as well, but she's figured out a way to make it work for her. Okay. So it's not the fasting that's the problem. It's because by fasting, you're more likely to eat a ton at once. It's yeah, it's it's how to structure your eating window that can be the issue, I think. And that's the time when, like I said, you may need a longer eating window. I would not try to do a one hour eating window. <laughs> you know, if I had this surgery, you need to have a longer period of time to eat. Okay. And you just need to be more careful. Okay. Yeah, that that completely makes sense then. Because when I was reading it, I was like, why would fasting not be safe? But it's because by fasting, it's assuming that you're eating, you know, a ton at once. <laughs> Gotcha. That's one thing that you mentioned, the importance of, you know, getting enough nutrition. One of my recent obsessions now is realizing how nutrient depleted, even like diets that might seem to be nutrient rich can be. Like, I think that's becoming more and more a problem, especially with, because of like our soil and things like that. Did you know they they say our soil only has what, 60 something harvest left? No. Yeah. Like where there'll be, um, I guess, nutrients in the soil. And then after that, it's like, there won't be, unless we do something. <laughs> Sorry, I've been doing it. This, this has all been coming up a lot with like people reacting to like game changers and um, a lot of the stuff, but it's really, really fascinating. So I, I think it can be hard just speaking about like nutrients. I think it's really important to get all of your nutrients. I've just been researching that a lot. So yeah, it really is. And it's it's not easy. Like, for example, you know, we've talked about magnesium before and that a lot of people are deficient in magnesium because of soil depletion. Yeah, it's insane. I'm reading a book right now called Rebuild Your Bones. I had never really contemplated the nature of bones before, but your bones are constantly breaking down and rebuilding, but they are a, a key source of minerals in your body. So, you know, calcium and I mean, lots of different minerals are stored there. And because of our common nutrient depletion and stuff, we're often pulling nutrients from our bones. I can think it'd be very hard to get a lot of nu- nutrition in today's world, which is kind of scary. Well, and you know, I I think that there's a lot, a lot of the obesity epidemic is because of this. You know, I've said it before. We are, and I didn't make this up, but I heard it and I loved it. We are overfed yet undernourished. And so our bodies, you know, you've heard me say this before as well. Our bodies don't count calories. Our bodies are looking for nutrients. So just like that animal I talked about earlier, who's searching for salt to lick. If your body hasn't gotten the nutrients that you need, it will send signals for you to keep eating and eating and eating. And so you keep eating and your body says, whoop, that wasn't it. 
you send something else down, then you eat something else, your body's like, that wasn't it either. So on the quest for more nutrients, you keep taking in more food and still not getting the nutrients that you need. So I find I have much better appetite correction when I eat highly nutritious foods and my body is more likely to say, yep, that was enough. Yeah, exactly. I I feel like I always hear this anecdotal story. I've, I've heard this exact same story from like multiple different sources on podcasts and things like that. They'll say that the difference between eating like conventional chicken or something and not feeling full and then like having like a grass fed, like pasture raised, you know, chicken is like so much more filling. Like when you, when you get the the animals that do have more nutrition in them, that it can have like a much more filling effect. Yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a believer in, you know, the power of nutrition for satiety. It, it really makes a difference. And I notice it whenever I eat quote junk food, something like that. I'm just, it doesn't, it doesn't do it. Yeah. I think it's so huge. So, so huge. All right. Well, thank you, Karen. We're going to move on to Shai's question, and her subject is health at every size. Shai says, I'd love to know your thoughts on the subject of health at every size. Dr. Linda Bacon hits the subject of weight stigma. I've been reading a lot about this very subject. There are so many politics surrounding food and health today. She makes some pretty great arguments. I love IF. I'm also planning to become a dietitian. I want to help all people to have great health, not just be at a goal weight. Thanks for all you do. The next one is from Michelle, and the subject is healthy at every size. She says, question for you. I have found a couple of podcasts talking about health at every size. It has definitely been interesting learning about getting away from the dieters mentality that we all have lived with for years. I was curious what your take is on this. I am a 37-year-old mom with a 7-year-old daughter. I'm trying to love my body as it is, but at the same time, I still find myself wanting a smaller body. I'm in a 16, 18 size pants. I do like all of the positives that IF gives with the side effect of the weight loss, as Jen says. But again, I would like to show my daughter how to love her body no matter what it looks like, while also taking care of herself with food and exercise. Do you believe and support health at every size? Do you feel this conflicts with intermittent fasting and its information and practices? Any information or insight that you can give to me would be wonderful. Yeah. So these are great questions from Shy. I love that name, Shy. Shy and Michelle. So in general, I I love the concept of health at every size. If there's if there's one thing, if there's one thing I realize it's sort of like the opposite. Well, it's the same and the opposite. Is that you can be healthy or unhealthy at any size. That's so true. Yes. <laughs> so I think it shouldn't be called even, I don't know, should be called both of those. I would rephrase it to like size doesn't matter or size. Health despite your size. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Because when you see health at every size, that implies. That you are healthy at every size. The implication is that we're only talking about overweight, but we're not. It also implies that everybody every size is potentially healthy. You know, I know that's not what it's saying. Yeah, I would I would like like healthy not size or something. Because in any case, people can be healthy at every size and they can be unhealthy at every size. Well, that not I'm going to say one thing that actually I don't think you can be healthy at every size. I think that there comes a size either direction like you said. You can be on either end of the spectrum and not be healthy. So I don't think that every size is healthy. 
I think that we can be healthy at a lot of sizes. And I don't think that you have to be society's idea of, you know, this perfect body to be healthy. And I think you can be healthy along a long continuum of weight. But on both ends of the spectrum, there comes a point when you are unhealthy. And maybe it's different for your body and my body. And maybe, you know, a weight for you that's healthy would not be healthy for me and vice versa. But I I don't think that does that make sense? Am I making any sense at all? Yeah, because... You know, my 600-pound life, for example. Look at the show, My 600-pound life. Have you ever watched that show? It's so sad to me. No. It's it's people who are stuck in a... Um, I mean, they, they weigh, you know, 600 pounds, and they are stuck in this cycle of eating, and they have people that bring them food, and it's just... It's so heartbreaking, this this life that they are, are stuck in, and they desperately want to get out of it, but they are not healthy. Yeah, I think people can be healthy underweight and they can be healthy overweight, but there are extremes on both sides of that where I I don't like making absolutes, but I'm pretty sure it would be very difficult to be healthy. So if you're at the underweight weight of starvation, you know, like malnourishment, that's not healthy. And then if the the other side of the spectrum, different layers of obesity or, you know, it's going to be very hard because that there's a certain when your body enters a certain state, it likely got there because of unhealthy, you know, because it's not in a healthy state. I think the misconception is that you can't be healthy if you're underweight or overweight. And I think you can be healthy at quote underweights and you can be healthy at quote overweights. But yeah, no, I agree, Jen, that the extremes. And then also, I think I don't want to make blanket statements, but I think a lot of people who are overweight might be struggling with health issues because I think those do often go together. Well, I certainly was, you know, I, I was obese. I weighed 210 pounds and I read all about health at every size at that point when I was really struggling with obesity. And I also read all about intuitive eating and they kind of went together for me, the whole, I'm going to love my body where it is and I'm going to embrace, you know, I'm not going to try to diet. I'm just going to live. I'm going to let my body do what it does. I'm going to love myself but when it comes down to it, it didn't feel good to be in an obese body. It was hard to move through the day. And, you know, I've, I've had it both ways now. Now that I've been through that, I'm no longer there. I feel so much better now. Now, does that mean everyone has to live in a smaller, you know, quote, smaller body to feel good? No, but you want to feel good and vibrantly healthy. And you want to find the size body that makes you feel good. But it might not be, you know, the magazine model's body. Mine isn't. I don't look like that. I love my body. It's not perfect. Yeah, because I think I think there's a slight disservice here in connecting the size to the healthy issue because I would rather make it be something about love at every size. Yeah. And also when I was obese and my body was big and I didn't feel healthy or good in my body and it was hard to move through the day, my body was taking care of me and doing the best it could at that time. It was responding to the way I was living my life and I was doing what what felt like the best I could do at the time. And my body was, was, trying to protect me. And piling on the extra fat was the way my body protected me at that time. My body was doing the best it could do. Yeah, exactly. I think that's such a wonderful perspective. And so I am like 100% all for like being okay 
and accepting and loving of yourself at every moment, like 100%. So I'm like down with the whole spirit of the movement. I love that. Yes. This, yes. Yeah. I, I just think the problem comes in when A, it means, oh, you have to accept yourself at a weight that doesn't make you feel good, that actually is potentially unhealthy, but you feel pressured that you need to accept it because of healthy at every size. And you know, that's that's interesting that you say that. I actually interviewed someone on intermittent fasting stories. Her name's Taylor and she's a college student. I think she's in graduate school. She's in her early twenties, I think. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> Sorry, Taylor, if I got one of those details wrong, but she is you know, not in my generation. She's closer to, to your age, younger than you. Says so she feels pressure. The whole idea, just like, who was it that said that? Michelle said that she finds herself wanting a smaller body, but wants to model body love to her daughters, but her one daughter. Taylor said the same thing. She's like her generation. She's been taught to love yourself no matter what, you know, accept your body, love your body. So she felt guilty for wanting a smaller body. Like she was letting herself down for not being satisfied with the larger body. And that was something I'd never thought of before. Yeah. No, I think that's huge. I think that's huge. I think that also comes into play with even things like money, for example, like people will feel guilty for having money or something because they've been maybe raised to think money's the root of all evil or, you know, like different concepts surrounding what money means. Yeah, I think there there's this whole it's very often we engage in a guilt mindset because we don't think we deserve things. So but then it's it's complicated with the the body weight thing about about the guilt. I think you can be healthy at every size. I think if you don't feel comfortable at the size that you're at and you want to be a smaller size like that's okay. <laughs> Yeah. Health at every size absolutely does not conflict with intermittent fasting. You know, I talked about, because that was something Michelle asked, if we think it conflicts with intermittent fasting. You know, I, I opened today by talking about the effects of intermittent fasting on health, aging, and disease. That's the title of the article in the New England Journal of Medicine. So I would love for 100% of the people who started intermittent fasting to start it for health purposes. So I, I think that is completely in line with health at every size because, you know, I I have these large intermittent fasting support groups. We're up to over 280,000 members. Melanie, can you imagine? That's insane. It's insane. Over 280,000 members combined in my Facebook groups. And not everyone drops a ton of weight. But, you know, it's it's not unusual to have someone make a post, especially in the advanced group, where they'll say, I've been doing intermittent fasting for an entire year and I've only lost two pounds. So why did I not quit? Because I've never felt better and my skin tags fell off and I'm finally sleeping through the night. And, and, and you know, they haven't lost any weight, but their health has improved so much that they will never quit. So, you know, intermittent fasting is not only about weight loss. It's the health plan with the side effect of weight loss. You got to get healthy first. And maybe your size is always going to be larger than you, you know, would would prefer it to be or society thinks you should be. And that's when you can love yourself at every size because you are healthy. I just want to do a caveat there because you said love yourself because you're healthy. I think you even if you're not healthy, that doesn't mean Exactly. Don't love yourself if you're not healthy. I didn't mean that. Oh no, I know. <laughs> It's not how I meant that. Love yourself. Yeah, love yourself, but love yourself totally disconnected from your size. The size is irrelevant as to whether or not you love yourself. 
and you can be healthy and intermittent fasting can make you healthier, but not change your weight a lot. That can happen. And if you only focus on the weight loss, you'll be missing like the biggest piece of the picture. I just don't think there should be morality surrounding weight or surrounding health. I agree with that 100% because for someone like me who struggled so hard when I was obese and it felt so bad and I really was trying so hard and I couldn't figure it out and I kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger until I finally was just giving up and you know someone could have looked at me and and said oh Jen's let herself go or what's but I was trying really hard I was just you know work my body was was fighting against things I was doing that I thought were the right things that weren't the right things for my body there's a lot of guilt yeah there's so much And I think it's ironic because I think this movement is trying to remove guilt, but I think because it is tying in a moral aspect to it, it's slightly having, it's slightly having a little bit of the opposite effect. I would encourage people to not feel guilt for wanting to have a body that feels the right size to you. And if that is a smaller body, that's okay. It's okay to want to have a smaller body because it feels really good to curl up in an airline seat, you know, and it, it just, it does. So my heart goes out to everybody who's trapped where I was in that feeling of, I, I, I don't know what to do about this because I was there for so many years. I get it. All right. So we have one more question. This comes from Rose. The subject is water. Rose says, hi, I just started listening to your podcast. Wondering, can you add lemons or cucumbers to the water we drink during our fast to make it like spa water? It's been a while since we've had one of these questions, Jen. I'm sorry, Rose, but the answer is no. We do not want to add any flavor to our water because your brain will taste that flavor and say, ooh, lemon, ooh, cucumber, and your brain thinks you're having food. And so the answer is no. You need your water to be plain. Although it does sound fabulous, spa water, save the spa water for inside your eating window. Your eating window can be a giant spa extravaganza, but keep your fast clean, plain water, no flavors, we don't want your brain to think food is coming in. Yeah. See? Easy. Yep. That was an easy answer. That was an easy one. <laughs> don't add anything to your water. Right now I'm sitting here drinking some hot water. It actually got lukewarm, so I'm drinking lukewarm water. I'm getting over a little cold. We went on this cruise and Chad never gets sick. I mean, I'm talking like never He's had the flu and it's lasted a day before in the past. Like he has the constitution of like, you know, he never gets sick. But Chad picked up this cold on board the cruise ship and then he gave it to me. And I felt great. I only had one day where I didn't feel great, but that's when my voice sounds a little weird today, if anybody can tell. Then Will got it and Will never gets sick. So anyway, that's why I sound funny. I feel great, but I just don't know if anybody noticed that I sound a little different. I'm a little stuffy. Oh, I didn't notice. I actually just got back my results. Have you heard of Inside Tracker? I have not. It's like this company, they do um, blood tests and also genetic tests. And then they analyze, They and they. I'm, I'm interviewing them tomorrow actually for my other podcast. But they basically have, you know, looked at all the lab works and tried to figure out what they think is most actually important as far as like health and longevity goes and like what should be tested. And they make recommendations and so it's pretty interesting. I'm going to like drill them on blood testing because I have a lot of questions about blood tests. But um, Well, good. <laughs> I don't think they're probably expecting that. They're probably just thinking I'm going to ask like about their 
system, but I have a lot of questions. They, they haven't met you yet. <laughs> <laughs> so I was even just thinking today when I was listening to that Peter Atia, I was like, oh, I'm going to ask them about that, about free fatty acids in the bloodstream as indicators of metabolic health. Because that was one of the things they tested actually for me. The thing I scored highest in, like on the good side, was immunity. I think it's because my body is like so like, what's the word? On alert <laughs> about things that I don't know. They say that people, I don't know if this is true, but I was listening to the ATP project podcast and they were saying how people who might want to be worried are people who like never get sick because they're more likely to be predisposed to something, you know, actually taking them down compared to people who are kind of sick all the time. Cause that means their immune system might be constantly going. So I don't know if that's probably somewhere in the middle is where you'd want to be. I have a feeling. Like, yeah. I just remember the guy. I love the ATP project. They're so funny. He was just like, yeah. He's like, the people who come in and say, I never get sick. And he's like, that could be a problem because down the road. Here's when I get sick. It's always surrounding a time when I have had wider windows. Like when I travel, well, of course, traveling, you know, you're in that Petri dish of the airplane or whatever, but traveling and holidays. If I'm sick, it's around traveling or a holiday. Yep. It's so funny. Um, you know, Stephanie Ruper, who wrote that fa- intermittent fasting post forever ago about yeah being bad for women on her Well-Fed Women podcast. One of the things she said recently, I guess she started doing intermittent fasting more. <laughs> and she said that uh, she like never gets sick now. She thinks it's probably from the fasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and I But I do find that I get over it so quickly. You know, I was only mildly sick for like a day. I didn't feel great. Other than that, I've just had the little scratchiness. But fasting lets our bodies deal with it. Yep, yep. It certainly doesn't linger on for weeks like you hear, you know, happening with other people. Yep. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. You can also go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like for all of these stuff that we like. I need to edit that link because I posted about serapeptase on Instagram because I'm trying to be more on Instagram now. And um, everybody was commenting, like wanting to know my brands and all this stuff. And because I made that link, if you go to ifpodcast.com slash serapeptase, it's like a guide to serapeptase. But I guess I didn't update the I have podcast stuff we like page because so many people have been like, you're still recommending the doctor's best brand on that on that page because I don't recommend that brand anymore. So I'll fix that. But that's a treasure trove for all of these stuff that we like. And then you can follow us on Instagram. We are I have podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, Jen is Jen Stevens. And you can follow us on Twitter. We are the I have pod. Awesome. All right. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? No, I think that's it. We had another great episode. I know we actually got through all our questions. I don't think that's ever happened. We did. And I don't think that's ever happened either. Well, okay, wait, listeners. I mean, we have like hundreds of questions, but the ones we, we picked for, for today. Yeah. We didn't get through all the questions that there that exist. We got through all the ones we had written down to get to. <laughs> Maybe we're just better at not having too many questions. That could be Maybe it. I'm getting more intuitive for about me. what we could answer. Yeah. Okie dokie. Well, I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcast, 
Intermittent Fasting Stories, and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.